Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got a bumper guest list tonight. We've got, first of all, Gab Cheatham. Tommy White's here. As is Dave Hilda Pryor. Mr. Sarcastic himself, Ricky Hyatt. Adam Davis. Me. And our special guest tonight, former Yelvertown fullback, Craig Alcock. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And our guests tonight are uh, Mr. Sarcasm himself, Ricky Hyatt. Evening, Rick. Good evening. That isn't going to stick, no matter how many times you say that. It's not going to stick. I'm going to try it. Um, no. Uh, away day specialist, Gab Cheatham. Gab's here. All right, Gab. And we've got a special guest in that uh, former Yeovertown fullback, Craig Alcock, joins us. Evening, Craig. Evening, H. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are we all? Yeah, we're all okay. And finally, we've got our financial expert, which we're going to need later on, uh, Mr. Adam Davis. Evening, Adam. Evening, everyone. You all right? Never better. Never better. That's all right. Well, um, I think it's pretty obvious that oh, we're missing. I would just mention the fact that sadly Tom White's got stuck at work, so he's not going to make it today. And uh, Hilda's stock up on his loft because he's got a man coming to fix his loft. But he will be joining us later, he assures me. So, there we go. Right, yesterday, Yeovil Town had another pre-season friendly. Uh, but this time it was one that everybody was going to look at perhaps in more detail because we were playing a league team in the shape of Newport and Yeovil won 2-0. So, I'll come to you first, Rick, because you were there. What did you make of the performance? Uh, it, it was good. It was impressive. Um, whether Newport flattered Yeovil because they've had some poor pre-season results themselves <coughs> and were, were not really at the races, to be honest with you. But Yeovil looked good. Looked, uh, an awful lot better than uh, many of the games we had to sit through last season. So uh, it was good to see, actually, because with all the, not hype, but all the enthusiasm around the ground, around the club at the moment with uh, new paint and things like that. It was good to see that the team are actually uh, living up to the to the hype, as it were. OK. Gav, I'm assuming you were there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just echo what you say. It was really good. Um, I'd done the commentary the week before Georgia and it's a completely different 11, I think. So, so anyone, we should choose Franklin, Dad, Mark, Nebuchadnezzar, and Involved either from the start, so uh, I mean, that, um, you know, Gab, it's a great, it's an absolutely great impersonation of Norman Collier. I've got to say, that was really good. Try switching your camera off and see if that makes any difference, okay? Because it takes up a bit of 
usage, isn't it? Anyway, we want to wait for you to do it. Um, so let's let's come to Craig. Craig, first and foremost, uh, what are you up to these days? I'm currently coaching at Luton Town at the moment. Yeah, and how long have you been there? Uh, since September, about nine months or so. Nine. So uh, nine, ten months. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? I am indeed. Thank you very much. So different role different for you though. It is, but one that I actually have got a lot to be thankful for, for one of Yeovil's former owners in terms of John Fry. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. So, so what did he do of, then? He kindly sort of pushed me towards the coaching side of it for when Skivo was in charge of the 18s and yeah. asked me to help, help out with him. So that was part of the reasoning for me adopting this path now. Are you emphasising more on the defensive side of the game in, in the fact that you were a defender in your prime? Well, I wasn't a very good one, so I wouldn't be, have much to say on that. Do as, do as I say, not as I do, I think it's probably the best coaching thing I can say. Yeah, I imagine so, but uh, you weren't a bad defender anyway. I don't know where you get that idea. <laughs> I must have done all right. I forgot in our Team of the Decade book anyway. Yeah, of course you did, mate. Of course you did. So why not? Why not? <laughs> But um, do you miss Yeovil now? I mean, I take it you keep an eye on them all the time. Uh, every now, yeah, every now and again, I still got some friends that are obviously down there and around there. I still see every now and again what's going on and stuff, and pay a bit of an interest. Are you uh, living? Are you living in Luton or near Luton or? No, uh, yeah, I live not just outside Luton in Buckinghamshire, really, not too far away, so it's not too bad. So not not a whole load of commutes you know, didn't put up with them. Nah, so it's all right, thank you. Not not the long drives back to Yeovil anymore. So it's no, right. exactly, exactly, mate. Um, moving on to you, Adam. I know you weren't at the game yesterday, but I'm sure you've taken an interest in it and probably read the match reports and various other things. What's your general consensus? I think I think Rick completely nailed it in terms of the. This was very much the first fixture that I was properly taking an interest from a playing side uh, on. That that this could have been. A, a real test uh, of of things, but it did also help the fact that my understanding is that Newport were really naff, which yeah. also really helps. But um, we we still had to make them look naff and still had to get the result, which is not something that you can ever convincingly say with with many Yeovil sides. So um, so a really pleasing a really pleasing result to see. I was I was very excited when I uh, when I saw that come through. Gav, would you like to repraise uh, reprieve your um, what's the word I'm looking for? Re no. Re Anyway, repeat. Would, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, would you like to uh, go back over what you were saying earlier before Norman Hart Collier moved in? Yeah, I. Yeah, I was saying. Um, I just reiterate what Rick was saying. You know, is really, really good performance. And um, I'd done the game the week before at Dorchester, and it's a completely different eleven that started. So it just shows the strength and depth that. Mark Cooper has at disposal this season, and there was no no trialists at all. No, which at this stage of the pre-season is very unusual for Yeovil. Did uh, Rhys Murphy play? I haven't actually seen the the side yet. No, that was the only Rhys Murphy wasn't didn't feature in the squad at all. He wasn't even on the bench. So whether he's taken the slight knock and it's yeah. you don't want to risk pre-season. But Jake Harvey missed another striker brought in who's missed about the last three pre-seasons, he come on and uh, for his first... Was it the only thing he missed, you... was it, then? No, and he missed... Uh, well, he missed the goal with a penalty. As soon as he... I thought, oh, uh, he risked it all. 
after the foul when he ballooned it over the bar. But then he kept his head up and then he scored the second goal just after. No, he didn't. He was, a, he was a handful. No, he didn't score it. Pardon? That was an own goal all day long. Well, after goalie, yeah. But our learned colleague Ian give it to the uh, give it to him, didn't he? But um, it was good to see. I thought the two Bristol City youngsters, the only two low knees we've got in the squad this season, I thought they linked up well. Yeah. I thought they both had a good game. Zach Bell and uh, Ollie Thomas, who's uh, for an eighteen-year-old, he's a uh, he's a big unit, and he was really putting himself about. Good. But um, I did read that Newport um, they lost eight <laughs> 0 to Bristol City on that Saturday. But it was their first team, the fans were saying. It was a very strong, pretty much, barring injuries. It was their first choice 11. So that does uh, give more kudos to the uh, performance by uh, ourselves last night. Sounds like Newport will be getting a bit worried then as well. Losing to us and at 8-0 to Bristol City. Looks like yeah, they I think will. So. They lost 5 0 game for that. Did they? Oh, God. Uh-huh. So, well, that's that's encouraging for Yeovil point of view, anyway. Um, what guys, what was your uh, impression when you first arrived at the stadium in terms of, you know, the amount of work that's been done, just tidying up, repainting, putting new dugouts in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What what was your general impression of it all? I mean, did it sort of hit you when you got in? It does as soon as, soon as you arrive. It does because the the sign by the entrance. Yeah. Is impressive, looks nice, new, shiny, and uh, the dugouts are very comfortable, I can report. Yes, I saw the photographs. <laughs> Did you get permission to go and sit in them or what? Sort of. Sort of, oh, that's right then. As long as we didn't disturb the uh, post-match interviews that were going on, I think we were all right. So uh, oh, Morgan Williams uh, looked a bit startled at what was going on behind him, but there you go. Oh, well, fair enough. Um, Gab, what did you think of it all? Yeah, well, like I, I have seen, uh, I have seen a lot of the pictures online for the work that's been going on. But like um, Martin Hellier said when he was on the pod Monday, it's just, it's just that thirty-two years of neglect, and it just needed the tidy up, you know, lick of paint here and there, and a, you know, and a, a proper tarmacay Rick doing the um, entrance outside sort of by the Astro pitch. Yeah, that was the only bit I wasn't particularly and, uh, impressed with. That looked a bit iffy. Uh, you didn't do it then. And the markings, I think Yo Mark have done all the markings outside the front. You know, just little bits and pieces like that. We couldn't actually get round the back of because we normally sit in the street bit stand and we, we normally go walk around the back of the um, uh, home terrace. That was all blocked off. So there's obviously uh, some because it's still because we're away the first game, aren't we? So there's still a couple, two and a half weeks of the first home league game. So I'm sure. Uh, Looking at the the, uh, the fixtures, I know we're away to Hemel Hempstead on the first game, but uh, we then appear to have four straight home games on the trot, which seems somewhat unusual to have four. Um, what do you what do you think about that? Is a reason for that, eh? Oh, go on then. It's, it's a Maidstone fixture yeah. switch, right? Uh, Sorry, I just uh, Maidstone fixed the away game on the 19th. It's been switched because Maidstone haven't worked on their ground, so we've just reversed the pictures. So we will now go to Maidstone in early February, and they're going to us. So that's why the reason for four home games in a row after the opening trip to Hemel. Craig, you've been in this situation as a player. I mean, that's surely four straight home games 
um, is, is an advantage right at the beginning of the season. And if, if the team can really get it together quickly, I mean, it could give us a real, you know, flying start. Yeah, definitely. I think it's all about momentum. The quicker you can build it up and get in that win, winning habit and winning mentality, and the better it is for everyone. Have you ever been in that situation? You must have done it at some stage when we were going up and down the leagues. Yeah, I don't know if we ever played four in a row or whatever, but yeah, you often have, like I say, several games back to back at home, and, and like you say, after if games get switched and what have you, you just you just get on with it as, as you see fit. But as a player, how how important is that momentum? Getting that momentum going. Yeah, because obviously it's, you get into momentum both ways. You can get into it negatively by losing. I've been, been in unfortunate situations at Peterborough where we lost the first eight games of the season and then you sort of get on the run the other side of Christmas in that same season where we went 12 unbeaten. Yeah. So it, sort of, it, it does swings in roundabouts and it's important that you, you get in definitely the right side of those results better than the other. Well, I mean, we can all dream, but if we could get to... I'm just looking at our fixture uh, for the... Uh, the commentaries that we, we're going to do, but if we could get three points at Hemel Hempstead and then go and bang uh, four home games on the belt, that would be a really good start. What do you think, Adam? I mean, absolutely. I, I don't think I can say anything else apart from wouldn't it be nice if we win all five games? Yes, of course it would. Um, early momentum is always quite good. Home advantage uh, does contribute quite significantly with things, especially when... <coughs> especially when so much has been said about how great the atmosphere is currently at Hewish Park. Um, it, it's probably going to be massively helpful. Um, I, I'm nothing but positives, really. Yeah. As no, long as we win. It's certainly, it's, it's looking encouraging anyway. And uh, well, you, as you said, Rick, it was a good game, wasn't it, basically? And, and an encouraging performance. Well, it's just reassuring to see on the field as improved and is as optimistic as everything around the the whole vibe around the place. So uh, that was what was what I thought was impressive. And Newport, really, apart from that, a, a spell, I think, start of the second half, where they, they competed a little bit, whether someone had had a word with them at half-time. But other than that, the scoreline in no way flattered, flattered you over at all. They could have easily run out 3-4, and Newport wouldn't have had any complaints. Yeah. No, well, it's, it's certainly an encouraging start, and it's only, what, another week to go. We've got one more game, haven't we, Plymouth Parkway? away but uh, one more game and then it's the real thing so yep. everybody be looking forward to that um so the next question really is, is is very much looking into the crystal ball but having seen what we've seen so far where do you think we'll finish start with you adam very dangerous and open-ended question it could be a whole bunch of things um i think because preseason has been pretty good and is and has shown various tests at various abilities, those at the top end. So Newport, in theory, were meant to be the hardest opposition and we play very, very well. But then we've also had slight hiccups against. We didn't look particularly convincing from what I read up against Totten, for example, or even Buckland when it first started. But we it's it's quite it's quite exciting we don't really know how other teams in the National League South have strengthened. We, we're all pretty well aware of the quality of Torquay simply because obviously we were in the National League with them last year and that we've, I think there's been a strong interest on the transfers that have come in at Torquay. But do we necessarily know that for the other teams in and around it? We haven't been in this league for a long time. Um, I would like to think a playoff push 
would be would be on the cards. I don't think we'll immediately go back up as champions. Uh, if we are, brilliant. But I think it would be very, I think it'd be very naive of us to immediately suggest that's going to happen. Craig, I mean, you've obviously got connections to Yeovil, but you haven't seen the games that are played. But you, you've obviously, I'm assuming, read up and, and keep keep an eye on what what's going on at Yeovil, and you obviously know about all the the comings and goings, and obviously all the. Uh, aggravation that we had uh, so before the new owner took over what what are your thoughts on the on their progress really yeah i mean for, well for me i'm i'm sort of ashamed to admit i haven't seen as much as you say because obviously with work and stuff like that it takes over but no i think like you say going down obviously had a link, uh, line to adam's point really where i think it would be naive to think you'll go straight back up but to be in and around it and give yourself a chance i think that would be probably more than what you could you could all wish for at the minute in this sort of transition period. Assuming we did get some good results, you know, starting off in the league games, do you think the manager will be really trying to emphasise to the team, look, this is still very early days, for God's sake, let's just keep our feet on the ground? Yeah, I mean, you've got, look, you've got some brilliant, brilliant staff there, obviously. I think Marcus is there, obviously you've got the manager himself, um, Coops, who's a very, very good manager, especially at that sort of level. He's Probably, arguably, probably, I would say personally, probably the best manager at that level, along with obviously probably Garrett talking. But so uh, it would be sort of foolish to not think you should or could be up there or thereabouts. And like you say, I think he's got more than enough know-how and and now to the players and and how he wants to play about way the best way for you to go about getting up that league. Um, how uh, you know when you've been in those sort of situations, how, how often? Have you had a situation where you're in a team that is going to be deemed to be a good team, a big team, which the Oval are going to be in this particular environment? Um, mm-hmm. You know, how difficult do you find that when you've got a team that you know every team that comes out against you, they're all oh, going to beat them. We're going to beat them. It's like it's like Man United when they go anywhere, they're, everybody's always psyched up to better beat them. I mean, it's going to be the same for the Oval, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had experience with that. Sort of, almost you could say at Sheffield United when we were in League One before we got into the Championship, and that was very much like that. Going to sort of your likes of Crew, Swindon, or all, all those sort of teams, and like you said, every game is almost a cup final when you're playing against a, a yeah. team that is considered sort of almost a big fish in that sort of level, and of which you overall are. But I think you know, we need to sort of not fear that, almost embrace that, and use that as motivation for themselves to sort of show teams why they're the big fish per se in that league and, and set their stall out, like you said, early doors with them for original first four home games. From personal experience, did you find that you, you were going out and you know you were very conscious of the fact that they were going to be coming at you and you had to perform every game? Yeah, I think, I mean, as a professional, you try and do that anyway, regardless. But obviously it does have that added incentive where you know you've, you've almost got a target on your back a little bit more, but which just adds, I suppose, more more to the sort of spice of the game per se. But I think, yeah, I think it obviously is in a weird sort of sadistic way. It's probably a nice feeling because it's sort of the only pressure really is then for you to prove why they think that of you and why they think you're the sort of see yeah. best ones at that yeah. level. Gab, what's your thoughts on it? I think um, anything less than a um, playoff position would be uh, would be disappointing with the... Um, with the squad that we assembled, so uh, I hope that we would, you know, like I say, we all want to go straight back up, but, you know, even if we don't, as long as we make a good account of ourselves, and I think um, we are going to be, like, 
everyone's up by now with Torquay. So uh, we have got to manage that. But Mark Cooper's, like Creighton, Mark Cooper's very experienced. And um, he will um, make sure the players don't get above their station if we have a good start. And um, I think, like I say, with the squad assembled, we should be... Um, we should give it a real good go and uh, hopefully uh, we do automatically or by the playoffs uh, straight back up. Because, you know, if we didn't have the interference at the end of last season and the players been brought in by the stewards, inverted commas, then we might well have been having this conversation talking about another season in the National League. So, But then that it's gone now, so we, we are where we are and we've, uh, we've just got to, uh, like, roll our sleeves up and, like you say, with all them home games in August, take advantage of that and get off to a good start. Yeah, well, I think, I think it could provide us with a, you know, the absolute ideal start, really. It's, you know, you, you don't often get a, a, a set of fixtures like that, do you? Especially when you've just come down a league. No, you don't. Yeah. Rick, your thoughts? Uh, the bookies are very rarely wrong. And uh, I think we're, we're bookies' favourites with just about everyone, so... I'd be surprised if we don't get promoted straight back up first wave by one way or another. It did, it'd almost be um, a bit disappointing to go through the playoffs. You'd like to think with the squad, the way they're playing, it's nice to see the manager finally getting players that he wants in rather than uh, having uh, the same players that have all gone together to a different club, all having them chucked at him at the end of the season. He was quite vocal about the fact that he, he didn't get the players that he wanted. Now he has got the players that he's wanted and the results are there for everyone to see. I mean, it looks it looks good. It's, I can only go on what I've seen, and and that one and it's one performance, but it's a performance against a, a team from a higher division or two divisions higher, and um, it was impressive, very impressive. So, fingers crossed, you know, get off to a decent start, get that momentum underway, and it should be after the season that we had last season. I think everyone deserves a good season. It'd be nice to win two games in a row, score more than one goal in a game. These are things that Yeovil haven't done for a little while. So, you know, hopefully it all looks good. It all looks positive at the moment. But then one defeat doesn't derail everything. No. So that's the important thing. It's a long, long old season. There's tough places to play. Like you say, it's going to be everybody else's cup final. So just keep focused on it. And I'd, I'd be surprised if uh, if Yeovil don't bounce straight back up. Um, you obviously looked at the bookies pages. Who's Who do the bookies consider to be our closest rivals in the betting then? Uh, Torquay. Torquay. Yeah. Mm. And beyond that, it's, uh, it, like I say, they're very rarely wrong. Those are the two teams that you would imagine looking at the strength of the division. They're the two that obviously catch the eye with the league experience. And I would be amazed if, it's, if those two don't both go straight back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I've spoken to But bet responsibly. If you're going to have a bet, bet responsibly. Mm. Just, just in case you didn't know. Yeah, quite. Absolutely. What are you on about? Um, well, carried on. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next subject, which uh, I think is, well, I, you'd have to say, has football gone absolutely crazy? Um, you have a French player who, one has got to admit, is a very, very good, exceptionally good player. Um but now he's just been paid, I think I'm right in saying, £51 million loyalty bonus. So already he's probably earning God knows how many million, but 
just to keep him sweet. Here you go. Here's another fifty-one million pounds. Um, Adam, what do you make of it? I mean, it's it's ludicrous, isn't it? It's welcome to the world of professional football. Yeah. Um, that this is this is the world we live in at the moment. It's um, it's an interesting one. It's it's very questionable. Well, a whole bunch of things there. Um, loyalty bonus is is a bit of a different one. That's more of a contractual thing, um, and he's kind of getting that by simply being there, supposedly. Um, I've always I've always personally felt that the the term is probably slightly misleading. Um, but the actual scenario that he finds himself in, where he has, to my knowledge, up there was one of the most powerful players while still at a club that I think I've ever known. Um, he, he seems to have taken absolutely everything he wanted from PSG. PSG have given him absolutely everything. Um, and it still doesn't seem quite enough, which is a bit, a bit, which is a little bit shady, in my opinion. I think he's a bit, speaks a bit selfish, potentially. Um, he's an excellent player, and but you could also see it as his career is finite. He's making best use of the opportunities whilst they're available to him. The only reason we're talking about this is the fact that people are willing to pay him that money, um, and it would be unreasonable for us to say that he can't uh, try and take full use of that as well. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it necessarily, because I mean he is an exceptional player. Uh, although I don't think PSG's results have been quite as as good as perhaps they should be with the, the lineup that they've got. But um, nonetheless, the, you know, he's getting it. But what do you feel now about this, the situation he finds himself in with this £259 million bid from um, one of the Saudi Arabian sides? Uh, I mean, yeah. how do you see that going? What's going to happen there? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing rumours of the wages that he's being supposedly proposed in Saudi Arabia for a year. Um, and it's and it's roughly totaling at about a billion euros with the transfer fee plus the wages. Now this could be pure speculation, but that's some of the figures that I've I've seen. Um, to put that into context, clearly that the Saudi regime value having Mbappe in their country for one year three times greater than what they paid for Newcastle United. Yeah, that's that's the position we currently find ourselves in. It's a very interesting. It's a very interesting one there. It goes beyond sport. Uh, it's There's definitely politics involved here now. Uh, he would obviously do massive things to the overall view of Saudi football. Um, they've clearly got the finances to do so. The transfer fee has nothing to do with him, really. Uh, that's a negotiation solely between uh, Saudi Arabia and PSG. But the wages will be astronomically high as well. <coughs> But what what I don't quite understand, because I'm a bit thick on these sort of things, but um, if he goes, if this this transfer goes through for the 259 million, um, from what we understand, he's desperate to play for Real Madrid. So is he just going to go there for one season? Uh, or are the Saudi Arabians going to come to some sort of an arrangement with Real Madrid? I mean, how do you see that aspect of it going? Oh, it, this is the world of conspiracy. It could go a whole bunch of ways. I, I think it's, I think it's very clear he does. To me, it seems like he probably does want to play for Real Madrid. But what we do know is he doesn't seem to want to play for PSG anymore. That's what we do seem to know. And mm. um, that he's he's grown tired of what stuff that's inevitably gone on behind closed doors that we'll probably never hear the light of day of. Um, Saudi Arabia are trying to make use of. A potentially a very good situation for them um if it is only for a year 
it probably provides more value to the Saudi regime than it does to Mbappe himself. He'll still be well under, he'll still be well in his prime years. And if he goes to Real Madrid, then then so be it. But I mean, from Real Madrid's point of view, at the end of this first year, um, are they going to then have to pay even more? Are the Saudis going to say, well, we paid 259 million for him, so we want 350 million now or something? I mean, is it going to keep escalating at that sort of rate? It will, it will be down to contract length. So if he only ever agrees a one-year contract and has no intention on signing another one, he can go and join Real Madrid for free, yeah. which is what PSG are very scared of and which is why they're willing to sell him to Saudi Arabia. They don't want to lose him on a free. If they, you know, What the Saudis do in the middle doesn't really matter. From PSG's point of view, being like, we'd rather not get rid of you, but we will try and get a fee where we can. But presumably from... Um... Uh, PSG's point of view they're going to push him to go for a one year contract but I mean basically what you're saying is they're they're passing the buck over to Real Madrid aren't they well, not necessarily well I, I think PSG are trying to make best of a difficult situation for themselves they, they have a player that doesn't want to play for them uh, they have a player who is more than happy to stick out and be a nuisance to them so they're going to try and cash in where possible because if he holds out for another year, he leaves on a free. He's cost them an absolute fortune and will continue to do so because of the nature of his contract. So they want to sell him a transfer fee now. It happens to be going to Saudi Arabia because they're the ones that are paying the most money at the moment. If he ends up at Real Madrid afterwards, PSG, to an extent, A, have no say and B, it shouldn't really matter to them because they'll have got what they wanted. They've tried to make use of a bad situation for them. They'll be more annoyed that they've lost their star asset. Do, do you know? I mean, it doesn't reflect very well on PSG because I mean they had a lot of aggravation, didn't they, with Neymar not that long mm. ago? I think from memory. Now they're getting it again. I mean, it it does beg the question, you know, who's running that club and is he very good at running the club? It's it. You could you could say it about Neymar. You can say it about Mbappe. You can even say it about Messi. Yeah. You know, he was there for two years. Yeah, it was fairly. He was fairly successful. They still won the league twice, but fans were still displeased. Uh, they didn't win the Champions League, which is what they wanted to do. Um, and now he's moved on again. It's There's clearly a cultural thing within the PSG side that is missing. Otherwise, you would be seeing them a lot more successful than they are. You can't claim that they aren't throwing money at the problem. Um, yeah, it, pro it probably does highlight things. But I think Mbappe in this particular situation seems to be potentially partially to blame as well. Hmm. But it, it, you, you, we're now getting rumours that Chelsea, Man United, Tottenham, are the three names I've seen mentioned, I, I can't see any of those clubs paying that sort of money, can you? Not at all, which is why they're all sort of rumours and speculation. It's The articles are, that I've seen, are, you know, they're fairly obvious, aren't they? They've been like, such and such is rumoured in wanting Mbappe. Well, every team under the sun wants Mbappe. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was a social media post from one of those sort of viral pages that said, yes, others that are also interested included Yeovil Town and your local Sunday League team. <laughs> yeah. And I go, I don't think Mr Hellier is in a position to do that. Uh, I don't think that Mbappe likes the idea of South Somerset. The point is, it's he is the most in-demand player probably on the world stage outside of Haaland right now. So, yeah, of course, of course, they're going to be interested, but it will have to be at the right fee. The difference will be Saudi Arabia don't have to comply with any FFP regulations. They have what seems like effectively an unlimited budget, whereas Man United, <coughs> the rest of Europe very much do.
Craig, as a player, do you feel you've missed the boat a little bit? Looking at, I think that's the story of my career, missing the boat when it comes down <laughs> to money like that. But no, but no, I mean, I you know, obviously you've given up playing now, and suddenly, yeah. you, I mean, it's bound to, if it all goes through, it's bound to not have a knock-on effect, isn't it? Because it always does in these situations. Look at look at Trevor Francis's transfer, and within six months, no, three months, I think, that... Um, was it Steve Phillips that they bought from Wolves for 1.5 million or something? So, you know, immediately six months or three months' time, uh, and it had already escalated to another half a million. So, um, you know, is it, is it is it going to affect it? And players in this day and age are all going to want to be putting up their wages again. I think, listen, I think for players, like, like Adam said, if they're only worth what someone's willing to pay for them. And if someone's willing to pay that much money for you, then... You're thinking, like you said, not just about your own family and support. You're thinking about their families, their family beyond, and everyone's families almost beyond that. So, as ruthless as the game is in terms of football, if you've got the ability to supply not only, like I said, generations of, of your family with uh, a financial package that can support them, in a weird way, it take more power to him. Because mm. I think anyone in their right mind would do exactly the same. I think the Saudi sort of side of it, like Adam said, again, is slightly different because they're not governed by FFP or, and all the sort of stipulations that come in with that, that obviously is now is across some of, the, some of the leagues and obviously in England. But yeah, I think they've, they've definitely sh shown their hand and their intentions, Saudi, with, well, even before this, with the recruitment of, of players and, and they have sort of offered to previous players and managers to go over there. I think this is very much almost like the same model that China tried, but with the action of probably even more unlimited funds than what China tried when they tried to grow their Super League. But, I mean, you know, looking looking at the situation now, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, not that long ago, we were all saying, oh, Cristiano won't go there. You know, that's, that's Saudi Arabia, that's not going to happen. Well, he went there and he's picked up an absolute fortune. I can't quote you the figures because I don't know what they are, but I know it was, was remarkably high. So, um, you know, it just it just makes you wonder, doesn't it? In less than six months, because it's roughly, I think I'm right in saying six months since uh, Ronaldo went over there. Look at look at where it's moved on. I mean, it's it's, it's like a it's like a, a wildfire, as they is topical, uh, you know, expression. So, I don't know. I just wonder what you thought, Gab. What do you think about it all? I just think um, it's an obscene amount of money, like you say, just been totally debate. But like you say, when when Ronaldo went, they said, "Oh, what's he going there for? It's not a major league, you know. He's in a, you know he's lost it, you know. He's seen his days out, you know. He's going back it." And then suddenly, you know, like um, Mares, Henderson, all of, all of them going over, and suddenly there's Kante, there's lo loads of them going over, and a lot of a lot of major players in Europe are, are now. Ending up in a in the Saudi day. The only uh, the only thing that sets back to people apart from obviously in the world presently is that is the fact of his age because most of the other ones are more towards the end of their career, say the wrong side of thirty. But he's like, what's he? Twenty four, twenty five? You know, he's still got. If he looks out after himself. He could have another 10, 12 years in the game. But I think, like Adam said, it probably he will. If he don't want to stay for more than a season over there, then. You know, he will he will say, "I just want a year," and then they'll be off to uh, Madrid, where we thought he might have gone, you know, last summer and maybe the summer before. So I think eventually he will end up in um, in Spain. But um, 
Yeah, it's just a metaphor. When most of us have costs of living and then the money getting around is like, it's monopoly money, isn't it? It's, it's crazy, yeah. really. But it's, uh, if people are willing to pay it, you know, if people are willing to pay it, then, then they'll pay it, won't they? I don't think you can, to be fair, I don't think you can blame the players. Because if these clubs are mugging up, yeah, not to, you know, they're going to fill their boots, aren't like they? Said, you've got to, like said, you've got to, you're offered it, you're not going to say no, you're not going to say no are you? Gonna, you've got your future and because the football career is relatively short, it's still got a lot of years left after tyre. So, you know, if you're offered it and someone's willing to pay it for you and you are at the top of your game, then why not? Rick, what do you think about it? You've probably got some radical thoughts on it, knowing you. <laughs> Not exactly radical, but I mean, from Mbappe's, the whole deal with Mbappe is really a bit of a perfect storm, really, because PSG don't want to run his contract down. They want to get some money for him. The only place that he's going to go who's got that sort of money is Saudi Arabia. He doesn't have to commit for more than a season. There's no way that the Saudis would be looking at getting anywhere near the £249 million that they're paying for him. Not, I wouldn't imagine it's it's worth that deal is worth them writing that money off to get a player, as Gab said, of that age who's not Jordan Henderson, who's actually a good player, over to their uh, to their league and uh, raises the profile. He only has to do it for a season. He makes a shed load of money. PSG gets some value for the player. Real Madrid step in and buy him at that time. So it's just it's just one of those things. It's an opportunity that's come up and it seems to suit everybody involved because the money involved doesn't affect Saudi Arabia at all but getting back to PSG it uh, does just show you what happens when a club is run by Qataris just uh, just thought I'd mention that given ownership issues at the moment be careful what you wish for because they might have all the money but they don't appear to have a clue no it's an interesting point but um, it's not just Qataris though is it let's be fair um, I think they're the only ones running PSG. Yes, but there are others uh, running football clubs in this country. One in particular. Yeah, and there's uh, today I was noticing on social media there's a lot of trailers going on for the new Amazon Prime uh, propaganda campaign for for Newcastle United next season. Yeah. Going to be sponsored by the Saudi Arabian state, no doubt. Trying to sports wash the whole thing just a little bit more. But do you not think this sports washing thing, it's, it's gone so far now that you're never going to turn it? It's, it's, it's too entrenched, it's too happening all the time. I don't know, Jordan Henson goes over there with his rainbow laces, he could turn it all round in a week. It's just come up on my phone now that he's confirmed he is leaving the club after 12 years. Lou was training with them today, so that would probably suggest that that was always going to happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we'll move on from... Mbappe. It's an interesting story and I'm sure it's got a few more uh, twists and turns before it um, you know uh, comes to a conclusion. Um, one for you again Craig. Uh, there's a huge amount of propaganda on the uh, internet at the moment that um, Man United's uh, game against Wrexham yesterday ended up with uh, Paul Mullen getting a, a punctured lung and they're all sort of hammering. Um, what was the guy's name? I'm just trying to think who took. Oh, the goalkeeper. Yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah, Bishop. Nathan Bishop. Um, have you ever been subjected to a, a sort of tackle like that, where you've you've 
ended up with a really nasty injury and you know is there ever I suppose there must be occasions when a player does commit to those sort of tackles and he, he does really mean it uh, I think to be fair whether he meant it or not I think one of the worst tackles I ever experienced was when I played my first ever game at Millwall away I think it was Tony Craig had left me with the worst dead leg I think I can ever remember and I still remember it to this day yeah. but no I think with all due respect I think even back then probably now I don't think there's not many players that actually go out there with the intention to really really hurt someone um, or you'd like to think not anyway because look we're all part of a profession and, and you're all what you'd like to think good honourable human beings and stuff so I would not have it down to him probably intending to hurt him but again I can't really comment properly because I haven't seen the incident I've only read probably the little bit about it that you're alluding to in the paper yeah yeah Rick, what did you think about it? I haven't actually seen the game yet. I'm going to watch it in a minute. But uh, did you watch it or you didn't get up at half past three, surely? I've just, just seen the manager's reaction afterwards, which uh, I think he might be getting a little bit giddy by the worldwide spotlight that's on him at the moment and thinks that uh, he's got a platform there. It's just a challenge. It's just one of yeah. those things that happens. It's unfortunate. But as Craig said, they're all professionals. You're not going out to hurt a fellow professional at the end of the day. So... Yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate, and yeah, it's just one of those things. It happens, and um, it's the nature of playing pre-season friendlies. Unfortunately, it's the worst time to get an injury. I would have thought. I'm not a medical expert, but I mean, I don't know how how serious is a punctured lung. I mean, it, it, it is not. How do they fix it? Anybody know? I haven't got a clue. They're actually not nearly as severe as they once were. As far as I'm aware, I've seen rumours that he's going to be about for about two or three months. Yeah. Which is still a large period of the season, but I, I think I think medical profession, the medical world has come on so long way that he can definitely be easily um, he can recover from this no problem at all. Um, I would also argue because of where he is and the financing available at that club and the importance he seems to apply to Wrexham as a whole, uh, Messrs Reynolds and McElhenney will do everything in their power to get him back as soon as possible. Uh, I think he'll be he'll be absolutely fine. It doesn't make it any less painful in the interim, though. But no doubt the reason that Phil Parkinson was so worked up about it was because it, because Mullen is his, his goal machine, isn't he? He's, he's, well, of course. Um, so he doesn't want to lose him for too long. Well, uh, he, he himself he called him their talisman. So if you're going to put that on one player, then uh, that's the one you don't want to get injured, is it? Yeah, quite. Right, but it was uh, no. As I say, I've seen I've seen the actual tackle, but it, it I don't know. It was just mistimed. He ended up clattering into him. I mean, it happens in football, doesn't it? But it doesn't always happen that you get a punctured lung from it. But you know, I suppose that's that's life, isn't it? What do we all think about the Wrexham experiment now? With uh, I mean, they seem to be what should I say? Getting bigger, bigger, and bigger with the uh, just thanks to these two. Hollywood actors, I mean, uh, you know, do we see it sort of continuing to rise, the, the Wrexham star? Is it going to keep going? Adam, do you think? I, I think I think this is just a continuation of it. It's <clears throat> the reason for it, and the reason I think it will continue to grow is because Reynolds and McElhenney are clearly not in it for financial gain. Mm. That, they're, that, they're, that it, isn't their, it isn't their number one goal which is the case for probably 95% of other owners in football in general, that they're here for the community as much as they are for 
potential financial returns for themselves. You know, if they they were there for just a financial return, they wouldn't have bought the race ground uh, race course again. They wouldn't have invested so heavily uh, in the playing squad and flown over as much as they have done to feel as supported in the area as as they've done so. Um, they have a squad of realistically bottom end League One players and they've strengthened it further, albeit Mullin will be a massive loss, um, they will continue to push on. I, I think this is I think this is a continuation of things. I saw something, I think it was yesterday, that um, their first game of the season, which I think is against Walsall, uh, at the racecourse ground, so that's at home, um, is sold out for home uh, or for uh, domestic supporters. They've got to the point now where Wrexham are actually um, being able to section off a part of their tickets for international travel, which you can't, no other team in League Two can do that. You know, we, we don't see that level of um, uh, price discrimination and um, segregation of tickets like that until you hit the Premier League at an absolute minimum. And yet that's that's the current world stage that Wrexham find themselves in. They're in a pre-season friendly on the other side of the world against Manchester United. This is a small town from Wrexham, uh, from a small town from North Wales, that the world hadn't heard of until like two, three years ago. It's 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 not a fairy tale, but it is a very nice story to cover. I mean, or somewhere, but um, actually, amongst Ameri the American audience, Wrexham are in the top ten most well-known English because they play in the uh, English leagues team as far as American viewers are concerned. So that's. That's the profile that uh, the owners have given them. But it's interesting, Phil Parkinson, again, going back to that, going back to him, when he wasn't moaning about United's keeper, was actually, uh, it's, it's interesting they got Craig on today because he was quoting Luton as being an example of what he feels that Wrexham can achieve. And I was just wondering, Craig, Luton's got to be, a, a, got to be buzzing at the moment, hasn't it? It's, he's gone. Craig, <laughs> you're still there. No, all right. We'll ask him in a minute when he comes back. Okay, but he did. He's, he's mentioned that Luton is an yeah. example of what Wrexham are hoping to do. So, yeah, you know, they 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 obviously see that there's no limit to it. But realistically, oh, you, you think that that League One Championship is probably where they should be. There he is. Sorry, <laughs> you, you, you disappeared just at the wrong time. But do you think that what's it like at Luton at the moment? You must be absolutely buzzing the place. Yeah, no, it's. Like you say, it's an unbelievable place to be at the minute in terms of just how quickly things have changed, probably on the pitch. And now we're sort of experiencing how quickly things are now changing off it to get ready for obviously the Premier League because obviously the ground wasn't up to scratch. And obviously, you've seen all the memes going around where VAR's been inside someone's living room where they've so clustered and everything like that. So it's been exciting, like you say, to. to to get in terms of now being coaching part of a team that's going to be in the Premier League, I mean, I was never ever going to get anywhere near it in terms of playing. So now to be part of it in terms of coaching is like is unbelievable. And like you said, just the whole community, the whole place, like you said, the club. Just seeing, seeing probably the best thing is seeing the people that've been there for so so long, like the chief exec Gary Sweet, and and then you got like the grounds and all that sort of stuff that've been there for 30, 40 years plus, and now they're basically seeing the sort of fruits of their labour come to fruition, which is which is brilliant for them. How is it how is it trickling down into the academy? Because of course I think it's very easy for for us to focus on the first team and then maybe the board <laughs> level sometimes, but you sort of doesn't necessarily get the same credit when it 
you know, it will affect the academy in some ways. But but what are you seeing? I guess firsthand. Yeah, I think it's more sort of trying to get that sort of, I suppose, the pathway for the academy players to realise. Look, you you're within touching distance now of being not just a, a championship player, which was the aim before, but now you're actually within realisation of being a Premier League player, especially for one of the lads last year, Joe Johnson, who's only an under... Well, he's technically... I think he's 17. And he sort of started the season playing in the under-18s, the under-17s flood the cup, and ended up making his debut at Middlesbrough away in the Championship. And he's now going to be part of the squad going and playing in the Premier League. It just shows how quickly, like you say, as much as things can change quickly for like Mbappe with this multi-million pound deal in terms of Saudi Arabia money, it can still happen in a similar context, obviously not quite on those vast levels, but to, to players now that you sort of are putting in the hard yards and they're now starting out their careers. Um, I've, I've got a question for and I forgot what else now. The old dementia struck in again. Good question, is it? <laughs> yeah. um, now, what was I going to say? Anyway, well, well, we'll move on. So it'll come back to me, I, I assure you. But, uh, um, you know... What do you feel about the the, the aspect? I mean, you, when you went there, presumably uh, Luton was sort of, uh, you know, challenging in the championship. But did you really think was it was it going to be, you know, was the dream going to come to reality, or did it did it really blow your minds up uh, when when they finally beat uh, Coventry? Yeah, like you said, it was already sort of spoken about, but how sort of. Realistic, everyone thought that possibly it was was probably not as. I think everyone in their wildest dreams wouldn't say it was. They believed it maybe properly, but then, like you say, once you get to that stage of Wembley, then it felt like it was almost all meant to be. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was. I mean, that was just an incredible day out as well for everyone involved. And say the club were brilliant that they allowed all the academy staff, everyone, well, in the whole club was sort of invited to the game and stuff as well. So. It just if anything, it just shows that there are sort of more ways to skin a cat and Luton has sort of adopted the approach of a real family, close-knit, orientated club. It, it's probably the biggest strength it's got is it knows its identity and it and it knows what it is and what it isn't, probably more importantly. So it, it just plays on its own strengths and, and the manager that's come in, obviously, and replacing Nathan, Nathan put in some unbelievable groundwork to get the club to sort of punching well above its weight in the championship to begin with and Rob's only come up, come in and took that on within his own style enhanced it and obviously now look where it's taken them yeah. so it's been a lot of hard work by probably an awful lot of people to, to get it to that stage I remember what the question was is Harry Cornick still at Luton? No he's actually weirdly at one of the teams you just mentioned a minute ago Bristol City Oh right right I didn't didn't pick that one up but there we go Okay, well, moving on. Um, Thanks for that question, Nate. That's all right. Um, moving on, moving on. Uh, I've got a theory that when you had a team, a very successful team, and suddenly three, four players take, are taken out of that team, it has to unstabilise the team a little bit. Um, Obviously, it depends on the sort of replacements they bring in in terms of money. But even if you've got the money to bring in the right replacements, I feel that, that teams like Liverpool, Man City and, and possibly Arsenal in the opposite sort of uh, camp, as it were, uh, are going to struggle a little bit. I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Does that not say it all? <laughs> <laughs> what? It, I mean, 
No, but I mean, yeah, you, ta you take City, for example, uh, apart from the, their, their ongoing problems with the number 115, but nonetheless, they've, they've lost three or four players. Now, you know, they're good players, but even if you've got three good players back, surely it's going to take a time for them to bed into the seam and get back to the same sort of, um, you know, routine and, and reliability that they've had this season. I think... There's there's two there's two answers to this in my eyes. One of them, from Man City's example, one of them is is two words long, and that uh, that's Erling Haaland, mm. um, and he will basically can drag most teams through pretty decent situations. The other one is that it's it's the role, in my view, of the coach and of the entire structure of the club to ensure that you aren't being solely led by one or two particular individuals that they might necessarily get the headlines, but it's a team sport at the end of the day. And the amount of the amount of work to to ensure that they bed in as quickly as possible um, is very is is the norm as opposed to sort of a, a rarity. Yeah, uh, players come and go all the time. Uh, it's it's something that, uh, having never been a professional, but I would imagine it's something you learn to live with um, for your own career. That you're you're constantly moving into different teams, uh, either to better yourself uh, in in one way or another. And you know that everyone else in that room would probably be doing the same as well. But then people will talk about their fond memories of when there were particularly close-knit teams. We could use Luton right now and rename certain Yeovil sites in the, in the exact same way. Um, I don't think it's that much of a surprise. We might see a few weeks where it's a little bit more patchy. Um, but it will soon sort itself out in the end. They are professional sportsmen at the end of the day. But, I mean, Arsenal, on the other hand... Have... I think have, have done some good business, and I think I think that could be the difference between um, them challenging City and, and winning, rather than challenging City and coming second. Very possibly, but that's the excitement of football, isn't it? Because Arsenal aren't too far away. Signings like Declan Rice are an amazing signing. We know what to expect from City. Uh, Liverpool will probably be back at the races. Man United are starting to look more uh, exciting again. They've signed well, I would argue. Um, Chelsea looks slightly more. Let's say cohesive. Um, Tottenham still have Harry Kane. Uh, Brighton are have signed well as they continue to do, as have Newcastle. Um, it will just continue to be really, really exciting. But that's why we follow football. What do you think, Rick? I'd I'd like to know what Gav thinks. Gav, hello, Regis, are you there? Yeah, yeah. so I am. Yeah. Oh, good. I think um, you said I know about Man City. Um, losing some key players, but then all sides have lost their key players. So I think, you know, this, like Kevin said, that's for the beautiful. You never know how it's going to go. And Man City were quite slow burners last season. People were going, oh, they, you know, still got off to a real good start, didn't they, and kept the momentum going until quite late on in the season, really. And um, Man City, though, just sort of built that momentum and they went on their was it like a 20 match and beat and run in all conditions from around Christmas time? And they just like, they know how to pace the season. They've won, what was it, six of the last seven premiership titles. So they know that, you know, you don't have to be fast out the blocks, you know, as long as it's over the course of the season. And like, I just think they've got the standout player in the premiership in, in Holland. And uh, I just think he's going to be. Uh, he's what just gonna what, go about, what about Liverpool, though, your team? Yeah, I think it's a totally different. It's a totally different midfield. Sometimes you might lose, you know, uh, 
one or two, you know, from different positions. But Liverpool have completely ripped out the uh, midfield, and they've got um, they've got a completely new um, spine through the side now, haven't they? So uh, I like the look of um, the Argentinian midfielder they brought from Brighton. I think he's going to be a good sign-in, and the um, captain and they got a few ones, but they did say that maybe they've. Uh, um, they would strengthen. So I, I think um, I think Liverpool will be there or thereabouts. I think they're certainly back challenging for the top four, but it's very difficult to call because, like you say, every team is uh, strengthened and Newcastle are going to go to that next level after the initial um, Saudi money. They've got some money going in. That was a good sign-in. They just signed uh, Harvey Barnes from the left side, a good sign-in. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, we should soon see how it starts off in a couple of weeks when it all gets going again. Rick, you've got a minute and a half to enlarge. Uh, we've talked about this other on other weeks. It's until uh, the 115 charges uh, are taken uh, to task, until City are actually uh, found guilty one way or another, the rest of the league are just playing catch-up. You've got, it does look stronger, it, but it's, it's more a case now you've got, what, eight teams going for the top four places, City will probably win it again. And it's a case of who... Chelsea can't be as bad this season as they were last season. Liverpool have got a new midfield, like you say. So it's, it looks good as a product, apart from the, the smell at the top, the actual Champions League places and whatever, the, the competition looks quite competitive. OK, well... I'm afraid we're coming to the end of our time. So just got time to say, first of all, thank you, Craig, for coming on board. We've uh, enjoyed no, your company. Thank you very much for having me. It's been very uh, insightful to listen to you all. So thank you. Well, don't worry. We'll get you Good a Good luck in the Premier League, actually, this season, mate. Yeah. No, thank Good you. Good luck, Good luck to you as well, more importantly. <laughs> no, we should be keeping our eyes open for you on the TV because now you'll be featured regularly on the TV, I suppose. So... Uh, I've got a face for radio, as you well know, so I won't be anywhere near that. <laughs> I bet you will. I bet we'll see Don't you. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, anyway, but thanks for coming on, Craig. Appreciate it, mate. And uh, I'll be in touch with you shortly. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Adam, thanks for coming in and stepping in at the last minute. I appreciate your help. Rick, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. No, always welcome. Rick, thank you very much for your uh, uh, contribution. Always, always, always to the point. Always to the point. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, yeah. And Gab, thank you, mate. We haven't missed much not seeing you. Thanks, Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll speak to you again, no doubt. Thanks, right. Hey. So that, my friends, is more or less it. So all I can say is thank you for joining us on football. Bloody hell! And make sure you join us again next week. Bye for now. Oh.